good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today we conclude our message series studying the foundational truths of the faith as gemstones. In this final message, we will look into a passage in the book of Romans as the Apostle Paul masterfully seats each one of our previously studied gemstones into his explanation of the greatest news ever shared. Thanks for listening today as we unpack the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There was a a priest, a boy scout, and the world's smartest man on a private jet headed to uh, an island country that was impoverished and and hurting and in need. And each one of these three individuals was was traveling in order to bring aid to that community. Smartest man in the world brought his briefcase with his computer and all the knowledge in his head. He had data and he had information trying to show them how they can form a better society. Uh, The Boy Scout had his backpack with everything that a Boy Scout has in a backpack. They're always to be prepared, right? Isn't that part of the model? Always be prepared. So he's got twine, and he's got knives, and he's got a compass. And his goal was to show them uh, survival techniques of how they can live off the land. And so he's on this trip. And then the priest is bringing the only thing that he thinks uh, matters above all. He's bringing uh, his Bible. And he's going to offer them hope. Uh, uh, an attitude to look beyond this world. And as that plane uh, reached its cruising altitude, uh, there was a jostle, and it took a dip and a dive, and a buzzer went off. And the, uh, the pilot came rushing out of the cockpit, and he said, I have some terrible news. First of all, we're completely out of fuel, and the plane is going to crash. The plane is going down. And worse than that, there are four of us, but there are only three parachutes. And he says, by virtue of me being the pilot, I deserve one. So he takes one of the parachutes, lowers the bay door, and jumps out of the plane. And now there are three left and only two parachutes. And in only a very quick moment, the smartest man in the world says, you know what, my brain is a treasure for humanity. I need to survive. And he too grabs a parachute, leaps out of the plane, which means there's only one parachute left for the two of them. And the the Boy Scout hangs his head and he looks down very sorrowfully and The priest looks at him and he says, My son, don't worry. Be of good cheer, for my soul is prepared to meet my maker. You take the last parachute and and, and live a long, productive life. And the Boy Scout, he he furrows his brow and he looks to the priest and he says, No, it's not that. It's just that the world's smartest man just grabbed my backpack and jumped out. I don't often start with jokes, but I felt like with, with all of the uh, chaos that has been in our news this week and all of the anxiety and turmoil, we needed a little bit of a laugh to start things off. I, I wonder, have any of you been following the uh, Brett Kavanaugh uh, Senate hearings? Raise your hand if you're, if you're familiar with it at all, with what's going on. And, um, all I can say from my perspective on it is that it's just horrifying from every perspective. It's horrifying. Uh, to believe uh, Dr. Ford is to say, what a, what a horrifying event to happen. Uh, it's just, just awful. And, and if for some reason maybe she was mistaken on identity and that maybe Brett Kavanaugh is being accused um, um, against what's true, how horrifying. I mean, just terrible. 
And as I watch that, thinking through, what if you or I had to sit before a judge and answer for all of the foolish things that you did in high school, all of, all of the, the lunacy of your yearbook? What if you had to answer not just for those things that might be benign and innocent, but very real uh, reality being that you and I are guilty before a judge? And all of that would be laid bare. There, there's actually a verse in Scripture that I added just this morning. Second uh, Corinthians, Paul writes this in chapter 5. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. Does that cause anybody a sense of uh, trembling? A- anybody a little nervous behind that? And, and this, is, this is true. This is in God's word, that you and I will give an account one day. Um, there is one, however, who could be called as a witness on your behalf, who will remove you from all penalty for your sins, for they have been paid. And his name is Jesus Christ. And so those who have placed their hope in the Son of God, you have no fear on that day, for there is one who has come to your aid. I, I was thinking of a, another illustration where this is this concept of fear uh, while there being an answer, a solution, uh, is something that would affect our soul. And, um, do you guys remember the Packers-Bears game? Week one, remember that game? Uh, they came back from, from 20-point deficit. Well, I'm watching the game, and I always text with my, my sister, and she was in Ohio, but for whatever reason, uh, the, the stream of the game that she had was about 30 seconds faster than the stream that I had. And so she was texting me in advance, and here I am, Nervous and, and, and anxious, but then I uh, I get a little text from her, and she would say something amazing happened, but that didn't happen for me yet. <laughs> I I didn't know what had happened yet, uh, and I I actually really liked that because it sort of removed all anxiety from me. There there was there was a, a an answer for the anxiety that I was feeling, and it was coming in the future. Uh, I thought of another example when I was in the Caribbean. We had our our director come down with all of us missionaries. And uh, the, the missionaries got together at this, uh, this restaurant for kind of a, just a, a last night meal. And it was, I mean, things get very expensive uh, when you bring everybody together at a restaurant, if you all know what I'm saying, right? And uh, at the end of the meal, um, I remember the, the bill came. And since I was one of, one of the head people, the bill came to me, but I had no money. <laughs> I, I brought nothing to pay for this. And so once again, fear and anxiety, they started to rise and... Um, but my director was there, and he was prepared, and he had his uh, Discover card or whatever he had, and everything was going to be fine. I, I share those examples with you because I want you to know this morning that whatever you face in this life that causes you anxiety, that causes you fear, that you don't have the answer for, there is one who has gone ahead of us. There is one who has the answers. There is one who has paid for that which you and I owe, that we are bankrupt to pay for. And his name is Jesus Christ. And the place where we find this truth is our final gemstone, and it's called the gospel. Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be wonderful if there was a passage of Scripture that contained all of the gemstones we've studied so far? Can you remember some of them that we've looked at these past 10 weeks? We looked at love and joy and, and, and faith. We looked at the difference between life and death and how we can have hope. We studied mercy and we studied grace. Well, lo and behold, there is a passage that contains every one of these gemstones. It's almost like a crown. 
It's found in Romans chapter 5. I actually have it here on the screen, and you're welcome to turn there if you would like. Paul writes these words, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I just highlighted all of the gemstones. As you can see, they sparkle with beauty through this passage. And there is a single theme that wraps all of them up. There is a single topic by which we can enjoy maybe perhaps a crown where each of these gemstones is seated in all of its beauty. And it's called the gospel. And so this is what we're going to look at this morning and study. My, my goal is to help us get to a point in studying this passage in Romans such that you will have a, a level of competency and familiarity with it. That the gospel is something that's not just foreign to you. That you know what the gospel uh, is but that you might be able to explain it to somebody. Wouldn't that be awesome? I I know it's a challenge this morning. If I were to call on a random person, tell me what the gospel is. Uh, I I don't know how confident every one of us would be, but that's, that's a pretty high goal I've got this morning, is to look through this passage such that you and I will be able to articulate it, to understand the good news that we have found in God's Word. The answer to all of the questions of our anxieties is found contained in the gospel in that through Jesus Christ, you and I can have confidence to stand before God. Those Senate hearings just cause fear. Imagine if you were called to the judgment seat and you were put on trial. The gospel says you can have confidence in Jesus Christ to stand before God. So as we look at uh, Romans chapter 5, I'd like to outline three particular areas. Uh, The first one, as an observation, um, I have summarized by this phrase. Justification leads to glorification. Justification leads to glorification. If if you look with me back in the text, Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Paul says these words, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Verses 1 and 2 of this passage that contain all these gemstones, they move us progressively to Paul's understanding that he's calling the glory of God. I want to I, I submit to you this morning that when you think of the glory of God, though God sits and lives and exists in inapproachable light, His glory is that which is filled with His holiness and righteousness, by which you and I as sinners cannot even enter into His presence. 
Though that is true, I do not believe that is what Paul is referring to here. Though you and I will see the glory of God on the day of Christ's return, he uses a word here that uh, I believe causes us to need to understand this concept of the glory of God a bit differently, and it's the word hope. Remember when we studied hope? Uh, One of the key aspects of hope is that nobody hopes for what they already have. Otherwise, why would you hope for it? You hope for something that's still held out there to come. There's a passage in Romans 8 that I think uh, outlines this um, a, a little clearer as well. Romans 8.30, Paul writes this. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. That's the word that's shown up twice now. And those he justified, he also glorified. <clears throat> if you look back with me in verse 1. Paul leads with the doctrine of justification. I want to give you an understanding for it. Justification is a legal term. If you're sitting there on trial and the judge has his gavel to declare you, which you and I want to hear, not guilty is justified. That's that word. Paul says that that has been offered to us. You have been justified. And he says that this has not come through works. I want you to look again in the text. You have been justified through what? Do you everyone see that? Through faith. Which means who gets the credit? You or God? Your justification, your right standing before God is not something you earn. It's been offered to you freely by the costly life and death of His one and only Son. Justification, however, leads somewhere. I want you to see the first place that it leads. Uh, go again with me in verse 1. We've been justified through faith. We have peace with God. Now we even studied peace before. I want you to know that this peace is not the peace that we we share horizontally with one another. It's the peace that we enjoy before God. No longer is there the righteousness of God looking over you and I such that we stand estranged from him. When I was when I was a young man, we went to um, Lake Superior uh, with my dad. He loved to fish. He uh, had a friend who had a bigger boat. We got on the boat I, I like to fish, but I get seasick. Like, easy, I get seasick. And uh, there, there was a place where we left out of Marquette that there was a bit of a harbor area, and there were no waves. But as soon as you crossed out into those breakers, man, was, and my dad, woo-hoo, he was having a great time. And I was turning green. And uh, this idea of peace is that picture of you and I in our own, without faith, where you're not justified. You're on those waves before God. There is anger and there is wrath. And and this is right and just before God because he is holy and his judgments are right and holy. But because of Christ, because we've been justified by faith, it's like the ship comes back into the harbor and there the water's like glass. And that is how God sees you today. But this leads somewhere else as well. Look with me in verse 2 through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So you and I, we stand not by our own merit. The text says here, you stand by grace. Question, you can answer. Do you earn grace? Yes or no? Come on. Yes or no? No, you don't earn it. It's given to you freely. That's why it's called grace. If you earned it, it would need a different name. It would be called a wage. But it's called grace, which means it's unearned. 
Paul says that grace allows you and I to stand. And he's going to enter into that once we get to verse 3. But I want you to see as we finish verse 2, he says, We rejoice, and there's the concept of joy. That's the root of that word where you and I as Christians can have joy, even though we need to tell our faces sometimes, right? Did I lose you there for a second? Right? Tell your faces to show joy when you come to church. All right. We have joy and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Here's a passage from Colossians. Paul says this, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. I I want to submit to you again that justification leads to glorification. Is it hard to be a Christian on earth? Is it hard to be a, a, a follower of Jesus Christ even in a free country like America? Absolutely it is. I was reading one commentator who spoke about a missionary over in China. And they only had a few thousand Christians in China. Uh, but the persecution of the communist government was trying to eradicate them. And it was just a few decades later, they went from thousands to millions because of the persecution. And those Christians stood their ground. They did that by grace. And God was good to them. The missionary from America couldn't see it that way, though. He said to the Chinese, uh, if God's so loving, why would he allow this persecution? But the Chinese reported back to the American, if God loves you so much, why doesn't he allow you persecution? Because, folks, let's be honest. It is hard to live as a follower of the single love of our Savior in a country that is so rich. Do you hear the echo of Jesus' words? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven because we don't see our need for it. As hard as this is in our world today and the indwelling of our sinful nature, look at this. Justification leads to glorification. If you know Jesus Christ this morning, if you call Him your Lord and Savior and you follow Him, as your Lord and Savior, because that's who He truly is. I'm not talking about playing church this morning. I'm talking about genuinely. I follow Him. He and His rule operate over my life. Then whatever it is that you face, whether it be up or down, whether it be sunny or rainy spiritually for you, this is true. Your justification will lead one day to your glorification. I want you to know that is afforded to you by the gemstone of the gospel. Your justification will lead to glorification. Secondly, I want you to see this from the text. Perseverance is a work of the Spirit. Perseverance is a work of the Spirit. This is found in verses 3, 4, and 5. I'd like us to revisit that again. And simply even to understand the logic of perseverance. Which is that it is only those who have the Spirit of God who will persevere. Meaning that if you fall away from God and never return, you never had the Spirit. And the only reason those who fall away do return is because they do have the Spirit. John writes this in his epistle as as he's talking about those who are coming out from the church opposed to Christ. He says that they went out from us and proved that they were not part of us. Their going proved they were never part of us. Throughout the scriptures, the New Testament warning is that there will come some from within the church 
who don't follow after the desires of God and the rule of God, they follow after the desires of their own appetites. These are not those who have the Holy Spirit because perseverance in a world that's filled with trial and difficulty and temptation and turmoil, perseverance is a work of the Holy Spirit. Look with me again in verse 3. He says, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope doesn't disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. I want you to see, first of all, that suffering is a reality for the believer. Shame on any preacher who does not tell the church that this is true. I abhor and condemn those false teachers who will say, come be a Christian and have all your desires met. God wants you to be rich and, and, and prosperous in this world. Prosperity for the believer is seen in a spiritual sense. And until the day of Jesus' return, the promise given to you by the lips of Jesus was, in this world you will have trouble. The promise from the Apostle Paul says, anyone who desires to live a godly life will be persecuted. Suffering is something that God will use in our life. Routinely we see the teaching from the New Testament which says, rejoice. Rejoice when you face trials because it will test your faith. When I was young, my sister and I uh, built a fort in the back of our house. I love building forts. Favorite thing to do. And uh, I, for whatever reason, decided that I needed some more aesthetic beauty in this fort. And so I found a a branch I could hang um, uh, two strings on and put a little swing. And so there was a little swing under under this branch. Uh, But that branch was a dead branch, folks. That was it. That, That swing was only for looks. Now, what if we had put some strain? What if we had put some pressure? What if I put some suffering on that swing? What would happen to it? It would break. And you'd realize that wasn't a swing. That was only for looks. That was only for show. The only way that you knew that, however, the only way you knew if it had integrity was if there was pressure put on it, if there was strain put on it. So the first thing I want you to see as we look at this truth is that suffering produces perseverance. This word persevere, it's made of two kind of uh, a, a Greek prefix and a word that means to live. Uh, it means to live underneath. That's what it means to persevere. To stand underneath the pressure. That's what it means to persevere. Um, I used to, um, and, and, and was told on the mission field, so I used to teach this quite often, uh, in the, our understanding of why God allows trials in your life to simply ask the question, how do you know what's inside an orange? How, how do you know what's inside an orange? You squeeze it. That's, that's the easiest way to find out what's on the inside of an orange. You squeeze it. And whatever on the inside will be shown to be true. That squeezing that you and I face in this life is the suffering that Paul is speaking to. And the more that you and I encounter that, it's a testing of our faith. We had our men's prayer breakfast yesterday, and Mike said something that I really loved. He said that men are forged in fire. Probably women as well, but it was the men's prayer breakfast. So, <laughs> Men are forged in fire, which means you really don't know the merit of what is inside of you. What is truly there until it's tested, until it's revealed, until it's hardened by the experiences of life that place the pressure in your life. 
We, we heard this morning from Donna in Genesis 22, the story of Abraham. Did, were you listening? Right? Abraham was promised that he would have a nation that would come from him. A promised child. And he, he had the child of promise. Isaac. His one true son from Sarah. And what does God say? Abraham, take your son and you go sacrifice him to me. What a test. I want, you to, I want you to turn there with me. Hold your spot in Romans 5. Flip all the way back to the beginning of your scriptures. We, we ended the story in Genesis 22 with a promise from God. But I want us to finish through the story such that you will hear the reason for the trial. Genesis chapter 22. We'll pick up in verse 8 where, where, where we left off this morning from our reading. Everybody with me? Genesis 22 verse 8. Abraham answered... God Himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Look at this. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Uh, God knew. God knew because he's omniscient. He's not limited with respect to knowledge, space, or time. But Abraham didn't. And now Abraham did. He was willing to go through the trial the suffering, such that that would produce in him a perseverance to stand under it. I want you to see this passage from 2 Corinthians 13. Paul says these words, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. I I don't believe that this is a popular teaching in an American church today. You and I need to be the kind of people who understand when trials come your way, they're very similar to what was going on in Abraham. They are a test. In fact, if you look at your heading, I'm willing to bet in a study Bible, it will say at the top of Genesis chapter 22, the testing of Abraham. And that's why we face, that's why we face suffering. There's one other place I want to draw you to, and it came back in verse 2. You might have missed it. Look with me again in Romans 5. In verse 2, he says, Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now, what's your Bible say there? In which we now stand. There is this confident, stalwart, unmovableness to the Christian who stands by faith in God. You and I have been justified by faith. And if that's true, quiz time, justification leads to what? Glorification. That your resurrection is as truly founded as your justification that you have right now. That is a promise. It's a guarantee. It will happen one day. And because of that, you, by the grace of God, when suffering comes your way, you don't break. And you don't fall. What does the text say in verse 2? You stand in it. Paul says suffering comes so that we might persevere. The second thing that he says is that perseverance leads to what? What's your Bible say there? Character. Character. It says character. I actually feel like that's a, 
a bit of a poor translation. Uh, rightly so, you could translate this word character, but character here would be better translated with the word integrity. That you, by your perseverance, are shown to have integrity. Integrity is a component of character, and, and the character within the Christian life is found through the indwelling of the Spirit of, of God. I think what he means for you to know here is that the more you persevere under the suffering, the more you're shown to be that which will not break. Perseverance reveals integrity. How, how do you test a bridge? When, when, when they build a bridge, does it need to have integrity? Absolutely it does. You're, you're, you're sending people across this to their destination. If you build a bridge and it doesn't have integrity, you're going to court. You might need to hear the sermon if that happens to you. So how do you test a bridge? You put, you put more weight on it. You stress it beyond what the nominal level is going to be. And when that happens and it doesn't break, what do you say this bridge now has? It now has integrity. It's absolutely right. Perseverance is a work of the Spirit. And you and I reveal the genuineness of our faith by having it tested. Uh, I wrote down the definition for this word uh, character, which I'm encouraging you to, to redefine as integrity. It says that it is uh, testing the genuineness of something by examining it and by testing often through actual use. To test, to examine, to determine the genuineness of it. Is your faith genuine? You, you really won't know until you're tested. But when you're tested, it is the Spirit who will help you to persevere. And your per perseverance will reveal within you, in you integrity. The third thing that, that he says in verse 4, perseverance, character, and character leads to what? Hope. There it is, hope. And hope doesn't disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Here, here's the passage from the end of Romans when we studied hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that lives in you that will enable you to persevere. The reason why I'm trying to press this hard is because, look, I would be doing you no service as a preacher to declare to the Christian, you, when you go through hard times, when, when you go to the doctor, when, when you find out that the bank account's dry, when you hear that call from the loved one, when your child is rebellious, whatever the trial might be, I will do you no service if the answer is, well, you just need to work hard. You just need to persevere through it by your own strength. Perseverance in the Christian life and standing under those trials, it is a work, not of you, it is a work of your yielding to the Spirit of God. Everybody with me on that? Say amen if you're with me. Amen. All right. Our last section here. Christ died for the ungodly. I, I truly don't know of a more succinct way to describe the gemstone of the gospel. Christ died for the ungodly. Any sinners in church today? Oh, I got good news. Christ died for you. This text in, in verses 6 through 8, they actually outline it in a way that is incredibly beautiful. Do you, uh, 
I'm getting off topic a little bit. When I was uh, in Dallas, I was going to propose to Emily, ask her to marry me. And I had to pick out a diamond uh, ring, an engagement ring. Now, my budget was not very high, right? You go look at it. She's got it on her, her, on her finger somewhere. But the um, salesman, and this, I feel like it was a line he was giving to me, but he was like, this is not the biggest one, but it's the sparkliest. <laughs> it's the most beautiful. It's the, it's the one that shimmers the most. And that was enough to sell me on it. And I think he probably took me for a ride, probably. But, you know, don't tell Emily. I think, hopefully she's not listening now. But the... Uh, <laughs> Uh, that, that, that was the characteristic of that gemstone. And I want you to know that the gospel sparkles most beautifully. It glistens. It glows in this truth right here. Christ died for the ungodly. And in this passage, Paul will outline it in a way that will give you and I the confidence we need. I want you to see what, and, and I have this in your sermon notes as well, but look in verse 6. You see, Paul says in verse 6, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. At just the right time. So, at the, the right time means it was at your greatest point of need. And no moment in your life were you and I able to save ourselves. So, at just the right time, helpless, I can't do it on my own, He came to die for you. Not only that, but it was also your greatest vulnerability. Look what He says, when we were still what? Powerless. powerless. Do you see that in God's Word? When you were powerless. Not only am I at my greatest time of need, I'm at my most vulnerability. There's nothing that I can do to please God. And he still died for you. And then thirdly, Christ died for, look at the character and the quality of these individuals. What are they? They are ungodly, which is your greatest offense to God. That's when he came to die for you. If that wasn't enough to convince you, look what he says in verse 7. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. So, I mean, if you're really good, really, really good, someone, someone might die for you, right? Uh, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. Think of those who uh, are so galvanized together on the battlefield, right? I, I heard this morning on, on the ride in, President Trump is awarding uh, some uh, soldier uh, a Congressional Medal of Honor or, or one of those uh, medals because he went back into the fray. To pull his guys, to pull his buddies back into safety. What a good man, right? What was he willing to do for them? He was willing to die for them, right? Well, guess what? According to Scripture, you're neither righteous nor good. Boy, preacher's a little harsh this morning, right? This is true. And the reason why we have to understand this is because there was nothing to deserve merit on my part. And yet, what does the glistening of the gospel say? Christ died for you. At your greatest point of need, at your greatest vulnerability, at your greatest offense to him, he still died for you. In verse 8, we see it laid out once more. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In fact, I'd like you to, if you can look back in God's word, look at the next couple verses. Verse 9. Since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's... What's it say? There, there it is again. So not only are you God, uh, ungodly in verse 6, and you're additionally a sinner in verse 8, but what are you now in verse 10? You're an enemy. Three different ways by which nobody in here would die for anybody. That guy's worthless. He's worthless. And that's what you and I were. That's when Jesus died.
for you. It's the most beautiful of all the gemstones. It glistens more than any other. And so I, I want to kind of wrap up here with a few conclusions. I want to leave this to you as we seek to answer this question. What does the gospel mean to us? Uh, in many places in scripture, you will find the command given to Christians that you need to, con- here's the word, contend for the faith. I think that came up in one of our Bible studies. Contend for the faith. You need to fight for what is true in the faith. And the reason is because of what the gospel delivers to us. I, I want you to hold on to these truths. Number one is this. You have a confident resurrection. Justification leads to glorification. So how sure are you that you will be resurrected on the last day? How sure? What percentage? Go ahead. 100%. Are everybody with me? You have that. It is a confident resurrection because you have been justified. That's what the gospel means to you. Secondly, you have courageous determination so that when pressures come your way, you and I, we don't break. We don't, we don't fall beyond repair. Now, don't confuse what I'm saying. Christians still sin, but what happens when a Christian sins? Do they say, oh, no, it's fine. No problem. Is that what happens? When, it, when a Christian sins because you have the Holy Spirit, remember our second observation? Perseverance is a work of who? The Spirit. Perseverance is the work of the Spirit. So if you have the Spirit, when you sin, the Spirit will cause you to come right back here to the foot of the cross to confess it before God. And if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. And so you and I, we stand by grace. We stand courageously. We stand determined to make it to the end. On that day, I am ready and I am willing to stand. Though you and I may have stumbling, we will not fall. Though you and I may have moments of doubt and uncertainty, we will be restored if the Spirit indwells us. Thirdly is this, we have a powerful substitution. We have a powerful substitution. I would like once more for you to turn back to Genesis chapter 22. Because I want to clarify what Paul says. I want to clarify what Paul says when he says Christ died for you. What's that for mean? Christ died for you. Because did you, you didn't ask him to die, right? He didn't die because you, you wanted him to die. So what, is that, what does that preposition for mean? Genesis chapter 22, where we left off, verse 12. Don't lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And yet the command was you come make a sacrifice. You, you, there needs to still be a sacrifice, maybe. Abraham was confident. If you go back to verse 8, he says, God himself will provide the lamb. So look with me in verse 13. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. Who thinks that was a coincidence? Who, who thinks that was just, whoa, that's amazing? That was God's provision. There was a ram caught by its horns. He went over, took the ram, and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. God wants you in relationship with Him. You have nothing to offer before God. When I was, when I was, when I was in Eleuthero in, in the Bahamas, I got so sick with a stomach flu. I mean, you guys know the kind of sick where you're just done sick. And uh, Emily was, she was kind of my girlfriend at the time that she was there. And I remember just laying on the couch, just, oh. And you know what she did? She sat right by me. 
I knew that if I ever recovered from that, I was going to marry that girl. <laughs> because what did I have to offer then? My hair was a mess. My breath was stinky. My uh, other side was stinky. It was just, I was a mess. There was, there was nothing lovely or admirable. There was no reason to find any affection in me. And yet this beautiful girl was willing to stay by me, to stay by my side. That's what God does for us. You and I, we have nothing to offer before him. And yet he extends his love. That's how certain you can believe these things. And rather than allow you and I to suffer an eternity apart from him, God says, God says, just like he did to Abraham, I will provide a lamb such that you can become my son or my daughter, that you can be welcomed in. So when Paul says he died for, he means he died in place. Is everybody with me? The penalty of sin is what? Death. And Jesus' death was in your place. It was a substitution. In the same way that Isaac wasn't going to be sacrificed, so what was substituted instead? It was a lamb. And you and I, we, our penalty before God is death, and yet there's a substitute. This is a powerful, powerful substitution. That's what the gospel means to us. And fourthly is this. You and I have an unshakable affection. From God. Unshakable. What were the three words that we already looked at that, that characterize us? Ungodly, sinners, and verse 10, uh, verse 10, enemies. Remember that? And yet he loves you and I. Unshakable affection. God demonstrated his love for us, verse 8, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. <laughs> My goal this morning was to get you to be familiar with the gospel. You ready for the test? So here's what I'd like to do. Uh, I'm going to read for you another passage where our gemstones show up. All of the gemstones that we've looked at, love and mercy and grace, they, they all come to the surface. And what I'm hoping you'll do after studying through this, I'm hoping you'll be able to see the glistening gemstone of the gospel. And this is 1 Peter chapter 1. I'll even highlight them for you. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer griefs of all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Do you see the gospel in there? Do you see how justification leads to glorification? Do you see how perseverance until the day of Christ is something that's accomplished by the Holy Spirit. And do you see how very much God loves you, such that he would die for you, to purchase for you an inheritance that can never spoil or fade? And the trials, look again in verse 7, the trials that you go through, they show the proven genuineness of your faith. What was that word I offered to you in place of character? A bridge needs to have what? In- integrity. It needs to have integrity. That- that's what the testing shows us in our life. So folks, that's what's in front of you. That's what we have. And so what do you do with that? What, what can I leave you with this morning? As you go from church having believed, boy, the most beautiful gemstone of all is the gospel. 
what, what, what do I do? How do I live like this now? There, there was a word that was repeated. It was repeated a few times back in Romans. It's the word rejoice. It's the word rejoice. This word is not the most common word that's used in the New Testament for rejoice. It's a little bit different. It actually has with it the connotation of boasting. Anybody here proud of your kids? Right? I didn't see my mom raise her hand at all. So, yeah. Look. What, what do you do when you're proud of your kids? You send pictures of them on Facebook, right? You, you, you boast about them, right? There, there is such love and joy there. The root of this word for rejoice is actually a word that means to like brand something with a hot iron. And, and the idea is that you take an iron and you put it in the fire and it gets so hot, it can't help but glow. It can't help. You, you, you ever see something that hot that you put in the, in the fire, right? It can't help but glow. That's like what Mike was saying at our men's prayer breakfast. Men are forged in fire. And when you go through your trials, what does is, what is Romans say? Look in verse 3. I ain't making this up. Look in verse 3. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. You are called to boast. You are called to rejoice. In verse 2, it's there as well. Uh, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And there's actually a third place. If you go again into the verses that we didn't really cover back in, in 9 and in 10. He says in 9, Since we've been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved in His life? Not only is this so, but we also, what's the word? Rejoice in God. I put it this way to you. Glow. Here's the deal with that. I'm going to end now. The world that you and I live in right now, it is an airplane that has run out of fuel. The world that you and I live in is an airplane that is going to crash and burn. The Apostle Peter writes that the present world right now that we live in is being reserved for judgment by fire. And so guess what, folks? You and I were all on board. Your, your, your ticket was punched. Somehow you're a passenger on this plane that is going down. Now, if you want to be able to do this, if you want to be able to rejoice, there is only one parachute. And his name is Jesus Christ. Now, here are your options. You can stay on the plane. And what will happen? You will crash and you will burn. Or you can take hold of the parachute. And what do you need to do next? It's one thing to take hold of it, but you're still going to crash and burn if you don't what? If you don't give yourself fully to trust in that parachute. This is what the gospel means. You and I can't play church thinking that, oh, my parents were Christians and I attend church, but I've really never trusted him fully. Imagine the guy who knows the plane is going down and he grabs the parachute and on the way down it opens up. What is he doing on the way down? (laughs) He is rejoicing on the way down. And this is what I want to leave you with. That as you and I hold to the truth of this gemstone, the gospel, you and I now get to go through this world rejoicing because your justification proves that you will be glorified one day. You will be able to persevere because the Spirit indwells you and Christ died for the ungodly, just for you. That is the beauty of the gospel. I do want to make certain, though, that you understand there is only one parachute that works. 
And in a world where people want to claim that you can get to God in many ways, let me simply say this, how foolish of God to send his son to die if you can be saved any other way. And imagine that person on that day who has rejected the trusting of the one true parachute. You know what he's like? He's like the smartest man in the world trying to pull on the ripcord of a, of a backpack. There's nothing there but fear. There's nothing there but the promise of judgment and death. The gospel says this. In Jesus' words from John's gospel, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Won't you be willing today to grab hold of that parachute? Won't you be willing, if you have grabbed hold of that parachute, to trust him and jump? And won't you be willing, if you have jumped, to rejoice all the live long day until his return. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.